Hey everybody, it's your favorite dungeon manager here. Before we start, I just want to give you a quick trigger warning because we discussed some heavy stuff in this episode. This episode of The Witcher and our discussion contain discussions of infanticide, sexual violence, and we do talk about addiction as well. So if any of those things are potentially troubling to you, then maybe you want to check out a different episode instead. As always, we do our best to be tasteful and respectful, but if these are sensitive topics for you, you might want to sit this one out. And now, on to the episode. Hello, fantasy fans, and welcome to Swords and Satire, the podcast where we turn low fantasy into high art. I'm your dungeon manager, Jamie Mulkel, here with my fiery co-hosts. Oh, boy. Well, I'm Chelsea Hollowell, and I'm an owl, but the owls aren't what they seem. Right, they're spies. Oh, right. Or walkie-talkies. <laughs> <laughs> There's probably a good pun in there somewhere, but I don't know what it is. Don't give away all my secrets, guys. <laughs> Flappy clappies? I don't know. <laughs> is that a pun? <laughs> it's it's like a, a walkie talkie. I was like, but instead of a, I don't know. I a wouldn't fly a flyy talkie. I don't know. I don't know if you should bring up your flappy clappy in good company. <laughs> Wait, a yappy flappy. A flappy yappy. That's good. A flappy yappy. yappy. Walkie talkie flappy yappy. I like it. (laughs) We got there, guys. I don't think you should bring up your flappy yappy. (laughs) (laughs) The whole world is going to hear this, or at least a hundred people. (laughs) Who am I, though? (laughs) Who are you? What are you? I'm a... I'm Jack Olander, part of a musical troupe of prison rats. Oh, shit. Oh, that's adorable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, what, uh, what's your tour going to be? Oh, cell one and cell two. <laughs> wow, both cells? We we play the local circuit. <laughs> I better be on good behavior so I can get out of the solo confinement and get into one of the communal cells. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. The food, it's great. <laughs> <laughs> we we mostly just take crumbs, but you know yeah. it's worth it. Yeah. So is that a lucrative gig? Uh, uh, we get by. I prefer not to talk about finances. You know, it's kind of personal. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, we're a podcast who supports workers, so we believe in sharing wages. Oh yeah, and guys, it's not just us here alone. Just the three of us, as some of you may have already heard. <laughs> if we didn't clip out my laughter or commentary sooner <laughs> that's right we have our special guest witcher <laughs> correspondent here with us hi i'm casey and i am a broken bridge over troubled waters damn, damn. or maybe that- a broken bridge in troubled waters yeah. <laughs> you were over now you're in yeah that's some symbolism right there. Yeah, some metaphoricals. Yeah, man, Heavy. that really makes you think. <laughs> You're hitting me right in the feels. <laughs> Are you sad about broken bridges? Don't go chasing waterfalls. <laughs> <laughs> Is that how you broke? 
Sure. <laughs> yeah, sure, You Jamie. know what? I try to go with the flow a little bit more these days. <laughs> uh, you should just stick to the rivers and the lakes that you're used to. Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of water puns in yeah. that song. <laughs> you know, I could really see Yaskier covering that. Oh, oh my god. He was even in the like lake. So. I thought you were yeah. making a pun. I was like, I don't get it. <laughs> <laughs> Are these like deep lyrics from the rap portion? I don't know. <laughs> well, you know, besides being a Witcher correspondent, Casey is also pretty fucking cool because she's one of our <laughs> patrons. And, you know, if you want to be cool like Casey, you could become a supporter of the show too. By heading over to patreon.com slash swords and satire and uh, join one of our tiers. Yeah, that's right. If you do that, you can get access to a lot of bonus episodes that we've recorded, uh, like our rewriting histories, where we talk about ideas for sequels, reboots, and spinoffs of movies we've discussed on the show. You can get some cool art that we make, and you can vote on a movie we watch every month. Wow. What a great deal. So much content. But we're not just going to sit here and plug Patreon all day, even though we probably could. No, we have an agenda. And on that agenda, that's right, it's our absolute favorite show that we love to talk about every week, The Witcher. This week, we're going to be talking about Season 2, Episode 7, Voleth Mir. I'm glad you said that one, because I wasn't sure how to pronounce that. <laughs> Vuleth Mayor. <laughs> Even though we heard it on the episode. It's a good Redanian pronunciation. I mean, clearly, as soon as I watched the episode, I immediately forgot what it meant. So I think that it's very understandable that you would forget how to pronounce it. Yeah. I'm really just imagining it in the detective from Knives Out's voice. The really strong oh, southern God. accent. The, the, and what would bad, that sound like? Badly done. What is it? Vorev Ma. That's great. It's a it's a conjunction within a conjunction. <laughs> a don- yeah, you're right. <laughs> conjunction, junction. <laughs> <laughs> what is your function? <laughs> you're telling me she's some sort of daughter of the elder blood. <laughs> <laughs> I would pay any amount of money to have a basically southern fried detective in The Witcher. <laughs> I mean, get Daniel Craig to just reprise that character in this world and don't explain anything. I would be here for it. Me too. That sounds great. But what was in this episode? That's a great question, Jack. I'm glad you asked. I don't think I can know until we head into the summary. All right, guys, so I think I can summarize this episode pretty nicely. Groups of two people talk about what's been going on up to this point and also their ideas about where things could be going. I don't think that clarified anything. I feel like this episode could have just been called podcast. (laughs) That works. The first group of two people is Yen and Siri. Uh, Yen and Siri escape the attack at the temple and head towards Sintra under the false pretense of freeing Geralt from captivity. Yen's really just trying to trade Siri in for magic powers. Yes. Classic Yen. With the deathless mother whispering in her ear the whole yeah. time. 
Do it, do it, do it! <laughs> but what's Geralt actually up to? Why, he's freeing his old friend Yaskier from prison, where he was imprisoned for peeping, I believe. He sets off, meets up with his old dwarven buddies from that old, from his old dragon helping days, and then he heads to Sintra to catch up with Ciri and Yennefer. But when he gets there, there's a couple of Novgardian guards who need a stern talking to. Spanking. <laughs> or a spanking, a drubbing. You'd better behave or you'll get the spanking and don't make me kiss your neck. I mean, <laughs> Geralt is daddy. Geralt is yeah, daddy, you're right. Yeah. And daddy comes for the spanking. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I think Casey just told us something about herself. <laughs> I think I told you something about us all. Yeah. <laughs> but what's going on in Nilfgaard, I hear you say? Well, Fringilla's got some ideas about how the war should be going from her co-workers. However... Francesca's had a change of priorities with a family coming around. However, Frangilla and Francesca won't have to worry about family for much longer. Wow. <laughs> Subtle. Yep. <laughs> and of course, the Brotherhood is a scheming, and it's no different with Tessia and Vilgefortz at the helm. And or in the bed. <laughs> They found out about Siri from Triss, and they're trying to vie for their place of power amongst all the realms, uh, and want to get a hold of Siri and learn more about her and her powers. It's unclear who in the Brotherhood is trying to protect Siri or no one. use Siri. <laughs> Everyone. It seems like some people might be interested in trying to. I'm sure Triss wants Triss, to yeah. protect her. Yeah, or at least like let's let's keep her here till we learn more but it also sounds like there's some people who are like let's just use her like a tool or a weapon and let's not forget that that firefucker Reince is still a plotting and a scheming elsewhere it's true and we did learn that he and the other assassins were paid with Redanian crowns so that could be a clue to something alright guys well that's a pretty good summary why don't we head into the delve yeah Welcome to the Delve, where we venture deep into the themes, scenes, and lore of The Witcher. I can't believe that's going to, like, people just aren't going to be aware of how much was just cut from the <laughs> That's called podcasting. That's good. But you know, if people want to find out what was cut, a good way to do that is to become a patron. There's so much content you're not hearing right now. <laughs> you what have could it no be? idea. Right now we're 21 minutes into the recording. <laughs> but to you, it's only seven. How far are you, young witcher? <laughs> yeah, I have a question for you guys, too. What's up with that owl, though? Oh, that's a sweet owl. You Barn the, owl, I yappy think? Yappy Flappy? Yeah. <laughs> the Yappy Flappy, yeah. The Yappy Flappy, as they're called. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> I know. 
I know that barn owls are David Bowie from Labyrinth. It's true. This is accurate. We got to see it sidle between its claw talons and clap its beak. Yes. Oh man, that honestly, best owl acting I think I've seen in anything ever, maybe? We- Besides David Bowie, of course. From the film Labyrinth. Who does the owl work for? It's for the Redanians, right? Dijkstra, yes. who is the mage for the Redanians. That's right. right. Okay. He's a mage? He's a mage. Yeah, that's... Wait. Chelsea, it's Grand McTavish. Of course he's a mage. I thought he was the spy master for Redania. Spy master. He's the spy mage. <laughs> he's the great spy master. Oh, shit. No, he's a mage. That's why he showed that's up why the, he was brotherhood. At the brotherhood. Listen, <laughs> he's a modern man. He's a multitasker. Mage and spy master. Okay. Yeah, I mean, they—they, they, it's kind of implied that mages do a lot more than mage. Yeah. At the <laughs> kingdoms that they work for, and it's pretty clear that the king of Redania is like, listen, I don't really want to have to do anything. I just kind of want you to control all of this political bullshit. Yeah. And so he is essentially. And being so much more than a mage, he's yeah. completely controlling he's the political terrain. Yeah, he's basically running all of Redania. Yeah. And we don't really know what King Vizimir's angle is here and what he's trying to accomplish other than kind of keeping tabs on everything that's going on in the region, probably so that he can find an opportunity to slot into his next opportunity for power somewhere. Yeah, he- My- He's hoping to gain more power. My guess is Dijkstra's basically just going to oust him probably if i mean he can like i i think deekstra De- jesus christ deekstra <laughs> what it's just a common everyday name <laughs> well there's also a j in there that i know i don't need to pronounce but it just shows up in my brain and then i'm Let's like oh i missed Dijkstra. it deekstra <laughs> Um, but anyway. in one scene in an earlier episode, like the first episode where we saw Dijkstra in mm-hmm. Redania, and he was talking to the owl, he was talking to somebody else through the owl. Yes. Yeah. And so who is on the other end? Exactly. Yeah. That's what I've, because I was like, okay, so I think the owl has been relaying messages right. from Dijkstra to, um... Dara. Dara. Hmm. But, uh, like, for his, like, spy mission, but... I don't really know who was on the other end of the owl in the beginning because yeah, <laughs> what? yeah, who was on the other end of the owl? The yappy flappy. This sounds so funny. Who's making me a yappy Yeah, it's the just... owl telephone. <laughs> Maybe it was... who's on? Who's on the feather? Come on. Maybe it was the woman that hired Lydia. Lydia, who hired Rins, but it's I don't know. possible, and she, we don't know yet who she's working for. But they, but work... we do know that they pay in Redanian coins. Exactly, but that could be subterfuge, also. I was gonna say that sending messages via an owl is tweeting, <laughs> but, that's, that's not all, but no, owls go hooting. hooting. It's hooters. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone loves a good hooter. hooter. Yeah, that's the name of the company that runs the owl service. Well, people love then, my owls then, for some reason. You know, when you when you write uh, a good post on Hooters, you could go, "Hey, did you see my hoot? <laughs> Do you like my hoot? <laughs> Your hoot is amazing. <laughs> it's a big hoot. <laughs> no." <laughs> oh god. Chelsea, that joke with a hoot. <laughs> You, as a listener, I know you can't see the face Chelsea just made, but I've never seen that face. <laughs> Shit, I've never seen it. 
I can you... chain multitudes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I know that we have our own personal theories about who's on the other end of this owl. It <laughs> <laughs> sounds like someone's running an Eiffel Tower on a bird. <laughs> It's a rotisserie owl. <laughs> I know this you had a wild theory. man. Wait, I did. What was Stringer my theory? Boar. Oh, oh no. Okay, I didn't. I didn't know. I didn't think Strigobor was on the other end of the owl. No, I just, Dijkstra. I just thought that Strigobor was the one who hired Rince, but um, mm. but now with all this other information, now I'm not so sure. You know, it could be Amir. It still could be Amir. But I'm unsure about that because they talk about trying to take over Sintra, Sintra. which is currently owned and occupied by Nilfgaard. You're so, right. So Amir wouldn't have a reason for that. I'm not sure Amir would have a reason to overthrow his own but city. But Stregobor would. But, <laughs> but, who knows? Because maybe... Dijkstra is working for Nilfgaard, and I don't know. I don't know. I get the feeling like Vizimir gives Dijkstra a pretty <laughs> long leash to kind of do what he wants. It seems like Vizimir is ambitious to get power, but doesn't really want to work for it. So I, I feel like he just kind of lets Dijkstra Sounds run like wild. Jennifer. Yeah. I mean, different characters can have similar uh, personalities it, and motivations. But I don't want to have to do anything to get it. Well, I mean, Yen worked pretty hard early on, though. Yeah, but then after that, she's just like, fame and glory. Why don't I just have it already? Well, I mean, she's just a queen trying to act like a king. It's <laughs> totally understandable. <laughs> um, I don't know. Maybe it could be that on the other end of it is the white flame. Maybe. Yeah, but why would he want to take Sintra? He already has it. Well, maybe they're in... I don't know, because I don't trust Dijkstra. Duke, Were you about to say in cahoots? <laughs> no! <laughs> oh, man, I was. I was, I, I saw stopped. the first letter. I, yeah, I saw it. <laughs> yeah, um, well, no, I was more so thinking that Dijkstra doesn't seem to be that, like, attached to Vizimir. Or Vesemir. Or Vi- Vizemir. Vesemir is Geralt. What is bullshit? <laughs> See, I don't know why you'd have trouble with these completely common names. <laughs> Every time names. you've said Vesemir, we've cringed. <laughs> because it sounds so much like Vesemir. It hurts. I don't hear it. Vesemir? Vesemir. Vesemir. Not to be confused with Vesemir or Emir. But one of them has a Z and the other one doesn't, right? True, yes. Yeah, so I'm going to pronounce it Fissimir. But so, yeah, I don't don't get the sense that Dijkstra's particularly attached to Fissimir the King. Because it just kind of seems like he's mostly trying to manipulate him. So I think there's the potential that maybe he sees a, a way to kind of manipulate this? I don't know. I just think he's scheming. And I don't know who else he could be scheming with. It's Graham McTavish. He's always scheming. 
I don't know who that is. <laughs> it's the actor who plays Deanstra. I mean, I know that, but I don't... You guys seem to know him from elsewhere. <laughs> he's on every TV show. Okay. <laughs> yeah, and he's always a, a scheming lord of some kind. Ah, uh, okay. Um, yeah, I don't know if it's anybody on the Brotherhood Council, except for possibly Stregovor, because the other people on the council, especially like Vilgefortz and Taseya didn't really seem to expect him to show up there and they uh didn't really know what to do with the information he was giving them and they tried to act like they didn't know what he was talking about i think also like they have differing levels of information yeah yeah and i think that wouldn't be happening if they were also in cahoots yeah (laughs) i still don't trust Vilgefort through all this either. Me we either. saw in this episode, even though him and Tissaia have their little thing going on, their little tryst. Oh, oh damn! When Tissaia and Triss are talking, Vilgefort busts in, guns ablazing, yeah. accusing Triss of things, and kind of like shows his anger more publicly than he has in the past. We know that Vilgefortz has some anger issues because in the last season, he murdered one of his own troops after losing a sword fight to Kahir. Yeah. And, um, Taseya has taken Triss under her wing. but Like an owl. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, she, she doesn't like Vilgefortz throwing his weight around typical patriarchy and that brings me to my first theme which seems to be ongoing the patriarchy yeah both ongoing in real life and in the show it's true it didn't end in real life not yet (laughs) no Uh, i keep hoping any day now but yeah the expiration date on that (laughs) i thought it was i thought it was i guess interesting because they introduced this romantic plot or romantic relationship between Taseya and Vilgefortz like pretty late in the season to the point where I was a little bit like it was out of left field yeah it felt a little out of left field but then like we're seeing him interact with her and being like why are why are you wearing so many clothes come back to bed <laughs> that's a you perfect know. Vilgefortz impersonation and then later he's like blowing up at her and Triss for not like giving him the information he needs and he doesn't apologize and Tr- or uh to say is clearly like kind of put off she well i mean she's like kind of um glassy-eyed you know like she she, she looks like really unsettled by his like blow up um and I just, he was screaming right in her face yeah she <laughs> closes herself off a yeah. lot yeah and it's just like we have seen almost every single man in the Brotherhood be incredibly fucking awful. Just like Except for Istrid. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's true, but he he's practically not in the Brotherhood. Like I feel like he's basically left. He comes back every now and then to kind of like eavesdrop, but he's not like a part of it. That's fair. But definitely Brotherhood leadership. Because we oh, see yeah. like Stregobor is garbage. Stregobor is just the absolute worst. Yeah, he's just a fucking shitty misogynist. And then Vilgefortz is like problematic. Uh I don't know. He just seems to really be kind of um uh, volatile. Yeah. yeah, unhinged is a good word. 
And Murdering I, your own troops uh, is generally frowned upon yeah. in uh, military and social <laughs> scenarios. And then we also see Fringilla's uncle, who we haven't seen in a really long time, but Fringilla's uncle uh, we see because Fringilla goes to him and she's like, basically like realizing that um, her plan to like connect with the elves might be falling apart because the elves seem to be backing out of this like treaty or this kind of consolidation. Um, and so she's like, fuck, I'm going to be, you know, like pig roast on the fire in a minute when Amir shows up and I have just like fucked off and blown up, you know, my only opportunities of like acquiring power. So she, she returns to her uncle and it's like, basically like uncle, uncle, like help me out here. Like, you know, we're, we're, we're blood, right? Help me out. And he says to her, uh, I quote, you need to apologize to the Brotherhood for ever thinking you could ever have an impact at, at all in Nilfgaard. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think is gonna let that one go. No, No, but and it- she doesn't because she goes back to Nilfgaard and fucking kills a bunch of dudes. Yeah. No, she'd already well, done she, that. She, no, she hadn't. No. Oh, I thought that would happen earlier. No, no, no. It, it was it was later. But it's not. Yeah. No, she goes back to Zintrea. Yeah, yeah. She goes back to Zintrea. But yeah, he said that's like a really gross thing to yeah. say to somebody. Like he wants her to grovel at the feet of the Brotherhood and basically apologize for ever thinking that she could have any like power or impact or anything and it's such a gross thing to say especially to your fucking niece it's also like a insecure thing to say right like he because he knows that she has had huge influence she she led a attack against the brotherhood she did that could have wiped out all of it's their leadership. Tr- fuck, yeah, it's true. So it's he's true. like trying to flex after yeah. Frangilla nearly humiliated and destroyed them. Yeah. I think it's also really petty because she's appealing to his humanity and trying to show him that she still has some connection to him too by like calling on their Familial their connection, bond, their yeah. familial bond, yeah. I also wouldn't be so quick to say that she's genuine in that. Well, she might have some subterfuge there, sure. But uh, I think she also is trying to f- see if she has an avenue out if things were to go wrong in Nilfgaard. I think that part is genuine. And um, he's being petty because once he figures out that they might get the upper hand with the elves not actually siding with Nilfgaard. Um, that's when he starts telling her she needs to apologize. He, yeah. That, when he thinks the scales of power have tipped in his favor. Yeah. And the only reason she even comes to him is because her leadership is being doubted by Kahir, who has returned to Zintrea, and the leaders, the um, generals. Yes. And they're constantly dismissing her like to her face um and so like she's experiencing this kind of like patriarchal dismissive snide like know your place woman attitude from like all fucking sides yeah and it's super fucking gross yeah lest we forget though fringilla did turn human beings into fireballs to throw at other human beings yeah 
but I'm not giving her a pass I mean, quite yet. I don't know. Everybody in this show gets to be complex, and everybody in this show gets to be like I think homosexual. No, well, they have like every people. A lot of people in this show have killed people, sure. and a lot of people have done good things. Everybody is complex in this show, and while I. I don't think that her being treated badly by her generals or her, like, you know, by her uncle or anything necessarily even matters to her killing people and turning them right. into fireballs. It's kind of irrelevant because at the end of the day, these they're not doing, they're not being shitty to her because she, like, sacrificed people. They're being shitty to her because she's a woman. Yeah. I mean, her uncle might be a little bit because of the the fact that, again, he, she completely humiliated him. But, but he also says that he didn't step stand up for her when she had her position right. at, stolen from her. She was supposed to go to Adern yeah. um, years ago, and Yennefer swooped in and stole her position at Adern. And basically, Frangilla just kind of like... Didn't Sloughed know, off she, to Nilfgaard. Well, she just like didn't know what to do, and her uncle, did, who is the one who tried to advocate for her to even get this position at Adern in the first place, didn't advocate for her, and was just like, whatever, oh well. And so, like, I, I just get the sense that that she has felt completely unsupported by a lot of people. When he apologizes to her, she looks like she's just experiencing that pain all over again, and she hasn't healed from that. No. And, I mean, thinking back on her story, it's like, if she had gone to Adern, she wouldn't have gone through everything she went through in Nilfgaard and become, like, a sex slave before she was liberated. Yeah. True, And it sounds a lot like he seemed to not care that that happened. I mean, she was, like, you know, imprisoned and that nobody came to save her. I know. Does her uncle know that story? I don't know if he does or not, but I would fucking hope he knows because, like, they know shit goes down all the time in Nilfgaard and it sounds like he didn't try to pull her out of it at all. Yeah. For over 60 years, people have known Nilfgaard was the shithole of yeah. the continent. <laughs> True. Yeah. But I think this, like also ties into one of the other themes that we noticed in this episode, which is about, like, family versus found family and, like, blood ties versus, like, not blood ties. (laughs) (laughs) But, I mean, Geralt and Ciri aren't blood, even though they are kind of bound by this broad concept of prophecy. And we get an interesting line from Ciri in this episode Mm -hmm. where Ciri says that, she always feels lonely, or she always felt lonely up to when she met Geralt, and with him, she doesn't feel lonely anymore. So it's kind of this important little development that we're getting this sense of yeah. why this bond between Geralt and Ciri is important to both of them, kind of. I, I get the feeling like Geralt has a similar unspoken feeling about Ciri, I and mean, he's protective of her. He is slotting into this father role pretty pretty well, all things considered. You know, given the context of his life, it is complicated. And I think the thing that this show is doing isn't saying that, like, blood relation or not blood relation has a special bond, even though that's what some of the characters are saying. It's actually saying that, like, it can go either way. It can be your found family yeah. or the people who support you, or it could be the people that you feel blood related to, but it really all comes down to how people value those relationships. Because we also see Francesca is willing to 
break her friendship or her, I guess that like bond she has. Yeah, her commitment with Fringilla in order to like raise a family uh, after she has her baby. She's like, my priority is my blood, my child and my family who I don't want to sacrifice for you. Yeah, she says that they're still friends, mm-hmm. but that family comes first, and yeah. that hurts Fr- uh, Fringilla too. Oh yeah, especially when she goes home to her uncle, who then seems to not put her first. Yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, Francesca and Phil Evangel's priorities take a complete one eighty as soon as the baby's born. Mm-hmm. Like they've committed to fighting with the Nilf Guardians. And then suddenly they're like, nope, we got an elf baby. Like, everything's better now, which yeah. it is not. But that is, like, kind of the afterglow of that event. With Geralt, too, we get to understand a little bit more the depth of his feeling for Siri. Mm-hmm. In this episode, he um, clearly takes his role very seriously, But he actually, like, emotionally cares about her, too. Mm -hmm. We got a little sense of that before when she was going to try to become a witcher. Yeah. And he was, like, kind of talking to her on a more emotional level there and saying, like, you shouldn't repeat my mistakes, basically. Mm -hmm. Or he didn't really have a choice, but, you know, you shouldn't follow in my footsteps. Mm -hmm. And that, like, talking to her about the real pain she's going through and how she should break the cycle of hatred, she... Like, kind of heard him, but didn't really listen because she's still Mm -hmm. perpetuating that. She's still Mm -hmm. feeling the need to get revenge. Yeah. And she she hasn't... She said she wanted to break the cycle, but she's still kind of mired in it. She's still mired in that thinking of, like, wanting to get revenge, which keeps her in that cycle of hatred and violence. I mean, she literally says it in this episode that she wants to slit Kahir's throat. Yeah. And, uh, but when... Geralt meets back up with them and dispatches of the Nilfgaardian soldiers. And it's a little bit extra, but he, uh, in terms of like filmmaking decisions, he puts his sword up to Yennefer's throat. And like, she doesn't pose a real threat to anybody in her current state. (laughs) Damn. Um, Yen would hate to hear that. He, uh, yeah, it's true. So he didn't need to do that, and he knows it. He's trying to send her a message that he completely doesn't trust her anymore. She's broken all faith he might have had in her. And she feels that devastation, the devastation of that loss. And you could see that on her face. But also what you can see on his face is the true depth of his feelings for Siri as, like, his daughter. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And she, and Yen says, like, oh, I didn't realize what she like what she was to you and i think what she's trying to say is like i didn't realize how much you cared for her which i still find immensely gross because i'm like yennefer it shouldn't fucking matter that Geralt like cares about her you shouldn't abduct children (laughs) to trade them in for magic powers i was gonna say like it is a very selfish apology of like oh yeah. well I wouldn't sacrifice her if I knew she was your daughter I yeah. would have sacrificed yeah. her yeah. otherwise sure but, but not if she's your daughter this is like this is like this interesting thing about like blood ties versus not blood ties and you know 
push the eel into the water <laughs> with the rake. <laughs> yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. Children no. for power. That's yeah. a good point, Literally Jack. Literally children for power. Yes. Yeah. That is, a, that is an excellent connection going back to why Yen would be willing to do something like this. Yeah. Right. That is literally how she was brought up. Yeah. Which was that... Her yeah. mom does it all the time. Yeah. yeah. Her her mother figure. Her, her real mom and her mo- mom figure. Yes. Her, her her biological mom didn't want That's her to be given she away. Just like, but... Oh, oh, oh. I no. sorry. I meant the mom she had when she was like farm her farm yeah. mom. Yeah. She didn't she want didn't her want to, to be sell given her. away. Her dad did. Her dad and she did. kept okay. telling her husband to not okay. let this happen and okay. he yeah. just wouldn't listen to it. Yeah, you Got remember it. how she sort of said something in the background a little bit? I mean, yeah. She didn't like physically <laughs> try to stop it, but it seemed like she was afraid of him. But oh, okay. Taseya brought Yen up to basically pay any cost for power. Yeah. So she is in this tension of knowing that she has this opportunity to get her magic back, which is kind of the most important thing to her or one of like the two most important mm-hmm. things to her and she is willing to do almost anything for it so i think she genuinely feels bad that she was going to sacrifice siri but also like you're saying like it yeah. shouldn't matter but it does nicely go back to her backstory sense. just like jack it does make sense but it isn't good think about what to say i said to yen when she was back at Eratusa, sometimes the best thing a flower can do for us is die. Jeez, damn. Callback, callback, callback. <laughs> Great point. Yeah. So she sure. has taught her not to really value life, to see it as a means to an end. Right. Yeah. So it's very in line with yeah. Yen's character to do what yeah. she was trying to do. Uh, other callbacks to Yennefer's time at Eratusa in this episode was... One of the first spells Yennefer was learning was Zayla Lape, the levitation spell. Yeah. And in this episode, she's teaching Siri how to levitate a bridge, and yes. Zaylil is one of the spell words. I heard that too. Yeah. Nice. Which w- I thought was fun. Yeah. Instead, Siri just like gets a sweet heavy metal eye uh, makeup look. Yeah, and is like really angry for a minute and then transports them across. <laughs> and she says the F word thrice, which means she means it. <laughs> Maybe that's her spell word. Teleportation is also a very yen magical power. That's right. This is actually why this relationship between yen and Siri is kind of sad. I think yen really doesn't want to have to hurt Siri. She's willing to, but she kind of seems to be getting some gratification out of training her in magic. Like she seems to genuinely want Siri to be able to use her power. She's giving her the same lessons she got from Taseya and to me seems kind of proud of her. Yeah. I got that too. Yeah. Siri using her abilities, it's kind of making her stronger and it's making it more uncontrollable the more she uses it, it seems like. Chaos. Yeah. And she says that nobody can really teach her how to use it. It's uncontrollable. I mean, maybe somebody can. Nobody actually has tried. Oh, yeah. yeah. I, I don't buy that it's uncontrollable. But yeah. I understand why Siri feels that. Because yeah. every time... First off, she has no real magical training. She hasn't worked with any mages. For Okay. First off, there's basically no mages in this world that she could trust to do a good job teaching her. Except... Maybe 
Yen someday in the far future or Triss. Most of the mages are very self-serving and greedy. And then second off, like all she's ever seen is how her magic, even though it is beneficial to her because it saved her life many times, kills, maims, and destroys. That's right. And in addition to that, there was actually a mage that she could have trusted her whole life. Mousak. I was thinking of him, too. I didn't realize he was a full-on mage. Yeah. Yeah. He's He's affiliated with the Druids, not the Brotherhood. Oh, okay, okay. And Siri knows at this point that Mousak and her grandmother both knew that she had these powers. Yeah. And that just makes her now have these negative feelings about them holding back from her. Yeah, because Mousak, if he knew how to train her, they... Probably would have mentioned to her that she had powers. I, I think Calanthe forbade it. I yeah. think so too. I think she tried to suppress it because she was she pulled the uh, frozen, you know, don't conceal, don't feel, don't let them know. Yeah, yeah. Well, now they know. <laughs> yeah. Well, so Siri needs to let it go. Yeah. Well, it's true. Not not uncontrollably. <laughs> Chaos. This is, this is literally just frozen. Now I'm realizing it's just frozen. Elsa is she didn't have the blonde hair. Elsa, she does. But Jack, yeah. you do have a good point because if Mausak was still in the picture, out of anybody, like somebody that's part of the druid circle would be one of the best people to train Siri. Probably. Because they are more in tune with like the earth. And um, they might have more ties to the actual Elder line. But does chaos come from the Earth? Chaos comes from Is chaos magic from... I think it's like from the whole universe. I'm I'm just wondering... But it's native to this world. Yeah. Their world. Um, Because Ciri's magic and in her bloodline comes from the elves. Yeah. And... Some sort of blood of elves. It's yeah. It seems like the druids' magic is more in line with the elven, elder way of practicing magic than the brotherhoods is, and uh, he might have been more qualified to train her. Yeah. The thing is, is that Yen teaches her up to portal the elder way. Well, but yes. I mean, multiple ways to portal. Yen is the other mage who is the most familiar with chaos. She just lost her power when she tapped into it too deeply. But she kind of has a similar power source to Siri. Yeah. So, like, I mean, I think Yen would be an okay teacher. The problem is Yen does not necessarily have the emotional intelligence right now to be a good teacher to Siri. I honestly feel like of the living mages that we know, Triss would be her best option, but Triss has now been through such a traumatic experience that I don't know if she's emotionally ready for it either. It's true. Triss was gonna let her inject the witcher goo. Yeah. And she seemed pretty traumatized by the vision they had together in the ritual. Not to mention being, like, horrendously injured from the Battle of Sodden. Yeah, but she seemed prepared to help teach her. Like, it's weird because, like, we almost got this, like, familial sense with, like, Geralt and Triss and I and know, I wanted Ciri that to be in the case. And, and, and also Vesemir, like, all of them together. You mean Vizemir. No. No. 
Um, I wanted that to happen so much. We got kind of that, like, charming, like, found family collection. And I think Triss is, like, infinitely more stable of a human being (laughs) than Yennefer is. It's a bummer to me that the show de-emphasizes Triss from some of the other Mm -hmm. stories because... I just really like Triss in the show. I think she's a great character. I think she is one of the most compelling characters. And I I always want to have more with her. But I know that Yen has kind of already been slotted as, like, the mother figure for Siri and everything. Yeah. Like, that's the that very much seems to be the direction that we're going down. I'm just thankful we got more Triss than season one. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. I was going to say, I think Yennefer needs to be fulfilled by caring for something, but I do not think that anyone needs to be cared for by Yennefer. Oof. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, oftentimes it's interesting to have a character whose needs do not line up with what they should have. Or benefits anyone else. Yeah. You're saying Yennefer needs to go through that like high school project of taking care of an egg like yep. it's a child? Yep. Yeah. But no egg needs Yen. <laughs> Casey's like, I feel terrible for that poor egg. They I- hollowed out the yolk. It's just the shell. Yeah. And yeah. it's not even a real shell. It's yeah. just made of like plastic. Yeah, someone someone has like dipped it in cement so that it stays solid. <laughs> Yen is just like holding the egg with a smiley face drawn on and she yeah. smudges the smile so it's a frown. <laughs> it's no! What have I done? Yeah. <laughs> um, we get a look into how Yennefer thinks about power and chaos uh, and magic in this episode and why she craves it so much because she talks about how it's something that wounds you and it's an integral part of you pain and it and kind bliss. of makes you who you are and it's like pain tied up with exquisite bliss and, and it's like yen's entw- a cenobite yeah it's like yes. entwined but it's like something the way she talks about it it's like better than any relationship or any orgasm she could ever have <laughs> and even but- from Geralt <laughs> yeah. on both counts yeah and there's like nothing else like it and so her pursuit of power is like there's nothing that can compare to that in her mind i mean it's very much the like magical power as metaphor for addiction type of thing yeah, but i also once I you've had that hit and I, it it fits with the way she keeps acting where she's like keeps fucking up and won't hit rock bottom with everything that she's doing, it really mm-hmm. reminded me of an addict, for sure. That's interesting, actually. I didn't think about that. And, I'm- like, she's destitute here and, like, has fucked up again. It's like she's fallen off the wagon again and yeah. she's caught by all the people yeah. that have tried to help her in the past. Yeah. Wow, that is that is really true. I didn't... <sighs> so many people who have tried to help her are, like, realizing that she might be beyond help or she... Somebody like Geralt wants to reconnect with her and then she kind of shows who she still is and it's just too painful for him to want to deal with. But no, I'm also curious because I don't get the sense that many other people have this sort of complicated relationship with chaos in the way that she does. So, mm-hmm. you know, sort she's of... She's like especially powerful, it she, seems like. She is especially powerful, but also she describes relationship with chaos as being this like pain and beauty but 
literally anyone else with the power or access to chaos doesn't seem to have that sort of intense experience. And I do think that it is an interesting like call out to to compare it to addiction because you know, especially in the case of something like alcohol, where other people can consume it and be fine, and some people can't. Right. Some yeah. people have a really turbulent, complicated relationship with it, and it causes them a lot of pain, and yet they find it as, like, a source of, like, for whatever reason, like, solace or power. It's a momentary or comfort. You're, yeah, yeah, you're helping me put these puzzle pieces together because it's, yeah. like, with addiction of any type, you're seeking to fill a void, yeah. typically. Yeah. And Yennefer is trying to fill that void that yeah. she never had that love and family yeah. foundation. Yeah. And um, it was kind of ripped away from her, or if she ever had it. And interestingly enough, she currently does not have her power, and she's desperately trying to get it back. I don't know if you guys have ever listened to the song weak and powerless from a perfect circle i do know that song yeah um but it's a song and the music video is actually really good it's it's a really interesting music video it's just this like woman who's running around in the woods like throwing things into this giant pit in the ground and as she keeps finding like you know like bugs and snakes and all sorts of critters and she keeps throwing them into the ground and she's kind of like scavenging around a little bit like you know uh almost like um reptile or or like creature like you know very like creepy um but as she throws these things in the pit just keeps getting bigger and right. bigger and bigger <laughs> and um this the the song is off the album called 13 step which is about addiction um but i think it's this good representation of this like physical representation of a hole that in this case yennefer is trying to fill this hole and it, I think it just keeps getting bigger and bigger and it just keeps getting worse and worse. And the more she tries to fill it first, she tries to fill it with like, Oh, I'm just going to get my, my, uh, uterus back and I'm going to have a child. And it's like, Oh, uh, oh, that's what I need to fix me. I just need a kid, which is like the solution that some addicts think they need. It's like, Oh, I'll just have a kid and then I'll be okay. Right. And then it's like... Something to give me a sense of purpose. Yeah, exactly. And then she's like, oh, I just need my power back and then I'll be okay. And, you know, and we know that that's not true either. Um, So this is a really, really interesting metaphor. I hadn't considered this. She even pushes away the ones who try to help her and that she loves. Yeah. Her void is like a black hole or a vortex. Yeah. Yeah. And the lengths that she's willing to go and the places that she ends up in order to get this thing that she craves, you know, that she, like, so desperately needs is, like, it's it's quite intense. I mean, she's willing to sacrifice a kid. She's, like... Yeah. You know. It's really dark. It, it is really dark. She would not be satisfied ever, even with obtaining the power that she wants. Yeah. She would still have this yeah. void inside. Yeah. And... I think that the only thing that could make her happy is something she would never choose to do. Yeah. Which is stop seeking for validation yeah. from external yes. sources. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes! It's just such an addict thing to do, to be yeah. like, oh, well, I just need this, I just need this, I just need this, I just need this. It's like, it's not that. You right. need to find it inside. Yeah. You need to stop trying to validate or justify your bullshit externally because it has nothing to do with what's outside of you. It's true. I was just going to say for Yennefer's case, 
She doesn't know she's sacrificing Siri. She's just bringing her to an evil, crazy god <laughs> in a pit. You know what? That is that's a good point because people who are deep in like an addiction cycle or something will miss the really obvious signs that what they're doing is harmful. Harmful, yeah. So like she could totally be justifying it. Like maybe the deathless mother will like hang out with Siri and, and help her tap into her power too. She's going to help me out. Maybe she'll help Siri out and we'll be a little happy family. But it's pretty symbolic that she's doing all this over a giant pit. And what is a pit if not a void of some type? Yeah, <laughs> that's right. And and it, it really does feel like, you know, Geralt is yelling at her uh, when he shows up and finds her and Siri and she's definitely like, looking like she's about to lead Siri to some bad shit. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, you know, he's like, what the fuck? I trusted you. You know, like, how could you, you know, well, he doesn't say that. He doesn't say anything. <laughs> he does. No, he does. It's he, all but in the he's eyes. like, he basically says like, how could you? Yeah. And like, I can't believe you. And like, it's sad because he says something completely appropriate, like basically threatening her and being yeah. mad. Yeah. And also like the last thing that she needs in this moment because she's already so close to the edge mm -hmm. that she's ready to just jump off. Mm -hmm. It looks like his loss of faith in her totally breaks her. Yeah. But I'm, I mean... And it's understandable. But how many times have you felt disappointed in someone who has an addiction and they have that look on their face and they don't fucking change? Yeah. Just because it's not what she needed right then doesn't mean he has to keep getting abused by her. No, right absolutely now. not. It's just, it's this really... I, it captures reality so yeah. well. Yeah. Like, this moment yeah. is just so heartbreaking for anybody who's gone through similar issues with yeah. loved ones with addiction problems yeah. and, and things like that. Like, it just hits home so hard. And sadly, I do not think Yen has hit rock bottom. No. I don't either. I don't... And I don't know... I mean, I thought she did with losing her powers, but... I just feel like every time we see her, she's just so willing to do even weirder and worse things. Yeah. Like when we when we saw her in season one, she was like trying to basically like entrance a whole fucking city and yeah. then like trap a genie in her body. <laughs> she hit rock bottom in this season and then the deathless mother threw her a pickaxe. I think if she pegged Geralt in season one, she did hit rock bottom. Because he's got an oh, ass like stone. <laughs> because he's got a rock bottom. We've seen it in multiple shots. Oh my god. But I think it's interesting because this episode, um, you you hear like Yaskir say, you know, like maybe she's changed. Right. And I, I wrote in my notes like, can people change? Because we've seen right. like Geralt has accepted his child surprise, which several characters in this episode mentioned like, oh, you and and last yeah. last episode also mentioned like, oh, you you changed your mind on that. Like what yeah. made you change your mind? And he says to Yennefer, like, you you did partly, like a few other things, but also you. Yeah. Um and then, the Yaskier thing is interesting too, yeah. because Yaskier is saying like, we need to kill Yen. Maybe she's changed. Yeah. Like yeah. even 
he is going yeah. through these complex emotions. Like, yeah. she saved his life just, what, two episodes ago? Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. she went out of her way yeah. with really no benefit to herself. Yeah. Just, like, out of feeling of commitment to him or, like, respect for life or because he is important to Geralt or some reason yeah. had her come back and very much risk her life to save his. And Geralt apologizes to Yaskier for having blown up at him last season. Which yeah. That was the biggest shock. Something that I think all of us were just, like, waiting with bated breath. I don't yeah. know if I'm using that phrase right. But we, yeah, were, yeah. we were waiting, like, for this moment when he would say, I'm sorry. Because he he was so fucking mean to Yaskier. Yes, he was. I know. And I hated it. And yeah. I didn't him, want them to fight. Blaming yeah. him for all of his problems. Yeah. Yeah, he's like, everywhere there's problems, you're there. And it's like, uh, listen. No, dude, dude, everywhere there's problems, Geralt, Geralt you're there. You're there. <laughs> like, yeah. Maybe, you know, when you point a finger, there's three pointing back That's at you. That's right. <laughs> I'm only there all the time because we're friends and we travel together. <laughs> yeah. And I'm there with you, putting yeah, it with your yeah. shit. Oh my god, guys. <laughs> When Geralt and Yaskier got back together in this episode, it was just, I, there could be no wrong for me from that point on. I just want to say real quick with that and when he goes back to see Siri, every time I want characters like that to hug, they do and I feel gratified about that. <laughs> nice. That is really nice. Also, the phrase Yaskier putting up with Geralt's shit, uh, he cleaned his butt in uh, season one. That's right. So Rubbed it with lotion. Yeah. Yes. Nice. <laughs> I never want to let the listeners forget that they did that. Lest we forget. Let it be known that Jack remembers the important details. That's Always. right. The eels in the lake <laughs> and the eels in that bathtub together. <laughs> yes. Between Yaskir and Geralt. <laughs> it's a magical time. Yes. It is. And I think two of the other people that we've seen change a lot is like, Frangilla, for one, yeah, wow. she she originally was someone who kind of like, I don't want to say she let people steamroll her because I think that's like an unfair thing to say of someone. Um, because she got like, steamrolled. She got steamrolled, and she she is, tries to be a team player and looks for allies and is constantly disappointed in other people yeah, because of the way they treat her. But people are yeah, people are always treating her terribly, yeah. and she is no longer like she's she's not taking that shit anymore. She's standing up for herself. She's putting her foot down. She's killing a few people. She's uh, classic fringilla. You know. Rather than trying to like find power by sharing it with others or like uh or looking to be given that power by somebody yeah. else she's just taking it into her own hands yeah unfortunately it's by killing a bunch of dudes but i mean I, those guys she, were shit anyway she's partly being spurred on by a demon whispering in her ear at the same time yeah i was just gonna say it's weird seeing her do something really villainous drugging and killing a bunch of people and like making a scheme to lie to the king but it feels so good to watch it does that scene oh, was like go get him girl it, it does. hell yeah because, i mean from stab the patriarch from Dude, like day seriously. one when or well maybe not day one one but you know day like 21 <laughs> um when yennefer like stole her spot in adern like she, she just had to like deal with it there was nothing she could really do yeah and I her think, life has been controlled by other people yeah up to this point. and i think i i remember us talking a bit about this in season one where we talked about like the fact that she is a black woman i think 
is not recognized in the show, but is hard to ignore as a viewer living in the world that we live in, that she is a black woman who is constantly like steamrolled and pushed to the side from Yennefer in season one. And, you know, like we see Francesca kind of like goes back on her word. Her uncle is really fucking shitty to her. Like just everybody she, and we know that she was like, uh, imprisoned and abused when she was in Nilfgaard back with like the old king or whoever was the like usurper. the usurper and so she's just been through like hell of people just stamping on her and I think that, that that her being a black woman in this uh, role is relevant in a meta way I just want to piggyback on Jack's point that she sticks it to the patriarchy. Right through the eye. By stabbing, by eye-fucking that dude with a knife. Oh my god. (laughs) Jesus Christ. (laughs) She's been stepped on. And uh, now she's poking him. <laughs> now she's, yeah, yeah. And, and I know that I know that you know technically killing people is a bad thing, but I am kind of. <laughs> I only am on technicality. Of, though. I am kind of proud of her though for like really trying to figure out a way to like. It's a coming of age. It is, and also the people who are doing this are really, really awful. In the context she's... of this world, it does fit because it is a brutal place where people are often committing homicide to yeah. get what they want. You know Especially what? power. She's a nice person and you never fuck with the nice people. Yeah. Because I still she, don't know if she's nice. She put up with everybody's shit for over 80 yeah. years until she finally broke. <laughs> I think she has the I think she had she I think she had years. the capacity to be Something. a really good person. Maybe. And I think that a lot of her circumstances and situations have, I don't want to say forced her to do bad things because I don't think that, I I think ultimately at the end of the day, you do get to pick your own actions. You're not. Yeah. You get to pick your response. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. But I think that a lot of that has molded her into this person who maybe feels more comfortable to do something like that. And I, I think though that she, if she hadn't been, put in all of these predicaments she could have just been a nice person yeah like she just seemed like she was like a nice girl who wasn't interested in you know conflict but she's submerged in conflict constantly and to some extent yen could the same could be said of yen yeah yeah it's true she's a bit of a joker but uh i I was for some reason in this scene i was reminded of rose pierre from the french revolution he decapitated a bunch of people, and I might have gotten this a little bit wrong, but I don't think so. Uh, the wife of one of the people he killed snuck into his bathroom while Rose Pierre was in the bath, and Stiletto stabbed him and killed him in his bathtub. Oh, wow, nice. For some Classic. reason, this made me think of that a lot. Yeah, yeah. It is I kind of that. like that. I mean, she poisons everybody and then kills them when they can't fight back yeah i got more of like a reverse final supper vibe from the scene as there i mean because i mean there's not enough people i do wish they had more people but i'm sure they were probably like what is the symbolism here what are we trying to say exact but they freeze 
but they do freeze and it's almost picturesque in the way that they freeze and then the 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 way that the the scene is kind of filming across their bodies does feel that's interesting indicative of this sort of idea but i i feel like instead of uh, there being like you know Jesus Last Supper and Judas, it's like she is Judas and she's just killed everybody. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I don't know how far. I mean, I like the goes. metaphor. Yeah. Whether or not it works works perfectly, yeah. I don't know. Guys, this episode has been jam packed. I feel like we could keep talking about this one episode for hours, but we should probably head into final thoughts. All right. Like I said, this is the penultimate episode. We've only got one more left in this season. I'm really excited to know what happens next, but do we have any final thoughts for Voleth Mare? I think we have some inkling of what's going to happen next because something we didn't talk about yet is the final scene when Siri is going back to Kaer Morin with Jaskier and the dwarves. Oh boy. And we see the glowing embers that used to be the Deathless Mother traveling and catching up with them and then going into Siri and she seems to possess her, maybe. We didn't even mention the fact that the Deathless Mother seems to have been released from her prison that Vesemir and the other witchers put her in quite some time ago. Yeah, she's some kind of powerful demon. Yeah, so she escapes in this episode, and um, because there was enough pain and destruction wrought by the people that she offered her, um, I don't know, treaty, blessing, but, like, blessing yeah, to. treaty is good. I, I think treaty is a good word. Um, they made a bargain, and uh, they fulfilled their end of it unknowingly. And or did they? Because that's my final thought: is that um. We see that Fringilla, uh, Fringilla is told that she would rule, but I think she is told by the Deathless Mother, but first you're going to lose everything. Right. And Francesca is I told forgot about that, part. that you will have a baby um, and your people will finally know liberation, right. but first you're going to lose a lot of your people in a war that you fight for basically Nilfgaard. Yeah. Um, and Yen is told, you have to bring me Siri uh, in order to get your powers back. And we see in this episode that Fringilla refuses to lose her station. She basically, like, violently takes her station and refuses to lose it, even though the Deathless Mother, like, told her, you're, you're gonna lose it. Yeah, Fringilla like, does kind of lose her station, though. She's basically just creating a new job opportunity yeah. for herself. Well, yeah. she reasserts her station. She basically, the, the Deathless Mother implies, like, you will get everything, but you will lose everything, right. but you will get everything again. And, and <laughs> then, kind of is true. And she gets everything, but she doesn't, she refuses to lose it. She refuses to lose it. She doesn't let it go. And so she attempts to violently reclaim it which is kind of like breaking the deal Frangilla seems to take seriously her role as the caregiver of all these people when that woman yeah. who was being accused was appealing to her and saying my lady please help me she really seemed to take that to heart yeah yeah I think Frangilla is actually a very connected person with the people of Nilfgaard we haven't seen a lot of opportunities yeah. to see it 
but she seems to care deeply now for the people here. And I think that part of that connection is tied to her relationship to Francesca, which she basically loses this episode. Not necessarily. Francesca still says they're friends. Yeah, and they both mean... suffered losses now that might help them reconnect. But they recognize that there was a bond that they formed in the Deathless Mother's cabin, and Frangilla basically says to her, "Like we have to maintain this. We have to follow through on this, or we're gonna lose this. Yeah. Like yeah. we, this isn't." And I think she's kind of trying to say to her, "Like this isn't just like a friendship bond. This is a bond that we made with." something yeah. it's and a magical it's bond. a magical bond and if you break it it's kind of like the the, the whole destiny thing yeah. like if you break it shit's gonna go really badly and francesca i think was like no i got what i wanted i'm good bye yeah. but it's like no we're not done here the part of the bargain that you made was that you were gonna lose a lot of your elves to fight this war in order to get what you ultimately wanted and you're not gonna get that now if and you to don't have do this that family and yeah. to keep the family yeah. So they both that kind of breaks the pact and causes a lot to go wrong. Exactly. So that's why I think we see Francesca loses her baby uh and then also we see Fringilla like well I guess Fringilla's doing okay right now, but <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> I don't know. We'll see. She it's definitely she's she's clearly breaking the pact by refusing to like to lose her position of power. And then also Yen uh not through her own volition but ultimately fails to deliver Siri to the deathless mother. So I'm curious if that means Yen is never going to get her power back because we we know that the Deathless Mother got ultimately what she wanted. I think she wanted Siri, and she's possessed her. Mm-hmm. But um, but I don't know if that means she now got what she wanted and doesn't have to give Yennefer her powers back. Yeah. Well, now Geralt wants to kill the Deathless Mother, so yeah, we'll, we'll see. see how that goes. Yeah, I suppose my final thought would probably be Take a screenshot of the Deathless Mother as she's dissolving from getting enough despair and suffering and tag your least favorite politician. Just go for (laughs) it right there. (laughs) All right. Uh, I think my final thought is that we are getting a little bit more from one of my favorite characters, Dara, in this episode. Yes. Yeah. Yes. It was not clear what direction Dara was going to go. It's still a little uncertain, but he basically says that after like all the revelry from the night before when the elven baby was born, that he feels connected to his people again. This is like the first time in years that he's, or I don't know about years, but like since the horrible tragedy that befell him, that he has felt connected to his kin. Dara's life has been rough. And he was kind of willing to be this man on the inside for Dijkstra. Now that he's seen the elves being happy, he's like recommitting himself to his elvenish. But then the baby gets killed. So where is he going to be after all this? Is is he going to have his faith in elvenness, like in his people, restored? Or is the death of the child going to push him even farther Away from everything. Uh, Dara doesn't say it after the party, necessarily. He does say it after the party. 
He says it when he sees the elf get hung for stealing food. When he sees the elves hanging off the wall. Yeah, Yeah. he's looking at the dead bodies. Yeah. He's like, I'm feeling the elves. But he he does mention like the the sense of connection he felt from like the birth. The hope. It's it's hope is really what it's all about. Yeah, I I just thought that was an interesting character development for somebody who is up to this point we have seen be afraid. Yeah. Kind of cowed and hopeless. And he has hope kind of for the first time mm-hmm. in the series. Right. So I liked I like seeing this nice little arc we have yeah. with Dara. Yeah. He's such a great character and his story arc felt very unresolved in the first season. Yes. And I like seeing him now having something to hold on to, even if it's going to be fleeting. Yeah, Dara slaps. He's good. <laughs> Well, I think that'll pretty much do it for us here at Swords and Satire. But as always, if you enjoyed the show, you should probably consider following us on social media at Swords and Satire on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can keep up with our show, check out our memes, and it's a great way to get in touch with us and let us know what you think about the episodes. And if you have the means and you'd like to become a supporter of the show, you can head over to patreon.com slash swords and satire and join one of our tiers and help us keep the torches lit here at Castle Satire while getting some extra cool perks. That's right. But if you don't have a few extra coins to toss toward your favorite podcasters, another great way you can support the show is by telling your friends and family about it. Spreading the word is just the Just the best, our favorite thing there is. (laughs) Aside from Patreon, it's pretty dang good. (laughs) You you can all watch the media we watch together and listen to our episodes together, but don't talk over it. Don't talk over our episodes. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like you guys should all give them some coin because they record a different ending Every single time. And I think just on that alone deserves some extra coin. Yeah. You know? Sure. How many podcasters do you know are dedicated enough to uh, write their... Er, right. To... to <laughs> Live. Improv. To improv a closing for over a hundred plus episodes. Yeah. <laughs> That's fair. Well, Casey, as always, thank you so much for being here with us. I always ask you if you have anything else you want to share, so I figure, and, and you always uh, decline, so I figured instead I would ask you a question okay. to lead out of the episode. Casey, what are you reading these days? That's uh, an interesting question <laughs> with a great answer. <laughs> no, sorry. Uh, I'm reading The Secret Life of Addie LaRue, and I'm not sure if I like it yet, and I'm uh, about five-sixths of the way through the book. Wow. So So you're dedicated even if you don't like it. I mean, I spite read a lot, so I'm not ever really sure if I'm gonna like something till I get to the end of it. That's that book about that forgettable girl, right? What? Who? Oh yeah, you're right. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that was a meta thing, I get it. So what's the book about? That forgettable girl. (laughs) Book? I am no longer sure who is kidding and who is not. (laughs) Neither am I. But I never knew. So, All right. Well, until next time. Hail Hail Crom. Crom!